have you heard about Anchor? It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me fill you in on a few things. Like first and foremost, it's free. And there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Then Anchor is going to distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on multiple platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and so many more. Even better, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And it's so easy, even somebody like me can do it. Now download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And I know you hear me. Welcome back to the I Know You Hear Me pod with me, Flynn Hendricks. We're on a roll with some amazing guests and this episode is no different. This week I've got someone I've known for almost 20 years. Today we're going to be talking to Keith Heim. He's going to be giving us some insight into what it's like being a teacher, a band teacher to be more specific, and what his experiences were teaching during the pandemic. He's going to talk about how society tends to lean more towards sports and athletics over the fine arts and he's also going to talk about the dedication it takes for a kid and their family to get started in band but on top of that he's going to talk about what his passions are outside of teaching and how he uses them to avoid burnout and stay motivated but one of the most awesome parts of today's episode is Keith is going to talk about how he's connected with his daughter as she begins to pursue her own passions a lot of which were similar to his So get ready to sit back and enjoy our conversation, but before we do, I'd like to once again encourage you guys to sign the petition for hashtag justice for Nala. I know we talked about it on the show last week, but I'm going to have the link in the show notes to the petition so that we can get her some justice, and hopefully we can hold those monsters responsible accountable. So let's take a minute for our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with this week's guest, Keith Heim. Hey, this is Jimmy Street, host of the Live and in Color with Wolfie D podcast. Hear the life and times of professional wrestler Wolfie D. From his times in the territories with PG-13 to his times in WWE, ECW, WCW, TNA, and more. Nothing is off limits and nothing will be held back. Available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all major podcast formats. And we're back here on the pod. Thanks again to our sponsors. This week, I've got somebody that I've known, gosh, going back to my freshman or sophomore year of high school, and I've known him pretty much since I started marching band in high school. So I know from experience with relatives and friends what, you know, like what the daily life of a teacher is like, but in the band world, that stress, that anxiety, and even the rewards go to the next level. So it's my pleasure to have on the pod tonight, Keith Heim. Keith I can't wait to talk about your story and talk about your experiences here. Oh, man, thanks for having me. I'm excited to do this and uh, looking forward to chatting a little bit. Absolutely. I'm glad we could reconnect here. So give us a little bit of background about you and just kind of tell us, you know, what led you to being a band director and where your passions came from with that. Sure. Uh, You know, I grew up and music was always something that was a part of me even before I realized that there were going to be opportunities for me to do it you know, throughout my life. 
some of my earliest memories are jumping up and down on the bed with a tennis racket, singing along to Beatles songs, you know, nice. so like that, that had to be like preschool or kindergarten. So I always knew music was something I wanted to do and how I ended up in education was, you know, graduated from high school and knew I wanted to go to music school at that time. I didn't think I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be a music therapist. So I started a music therapy degree and got a little over halfway through that and started getting opportunities to be section leader in marching band and doing some other stuff where mm-hmm. I was directing some music. I thought, hey, let, this is really, I'm, I'm getting a lot more out of this and feel like I'm more comfortable and getting excited about this and could do this permanently so i changed my major and ended up getting the music ed degree it took a while to get through school but i got the degree and that's how i got into education and the rest for me anyway it's 20 this is year 22 for me so Ooh. it's been a pretty long career and almost all of it has been enjoyable <laughs> that's the next question i was going to ask right there have the rewards pretty much made up for all the stress and all the time you've put in like made it as rewarding as possible i guess is the best way to ask it you know, it's weird because the rewards aren't always immediate. Right. Uh, and now that I've been doing it for two decades and a little more, the rewards are that I have former students now who are teachers and who are even band directors and mm-hmm. performers and people that are, you know, adults doing really incredible things and still keep in touch, you know, even kids that I only had in a general music class for one year that weren't my band kids that followed me throughout middle school or high school. Right. Uh, a, a few of them I'm still connected with and to see them living their lives and having kids and being married and traveling the world and contributing to society. That's where the big payoff is. So it's not really an immediate thing, but it is very gratifying to see students doing great things and knowing that you had even just a small little hand in them growing up and maturing and being able to do all that. Absolutely. And I know from a lot of statistics that I've been told, a lot of the kids that start off in band end up having a more successful life and career than those that don't. And I'm not even really sure what it is that actually like caused that statistic to be a thing. But I know even from experience myself, just keeping up with former teachers like you And, you know, other instructors throughout high school, other band students that I've been with since middle school, you still see it out there. And even though like some of us may not still play as much today, there's still a network and a family there. And it's it still sculpts our lives in some way, shape or form, because we still talk about it to this day. We still reminisce on everything. And it's just something that won't ever leave you. Yeah, I mean, there there's a guy that went to the same high school as you that would have been there probably a year or two before you were there who just posted some old videos from the late 90s and early 2000s and got a huge response from friends and alumni they're like oh my gosh do you have a video from this like it's a shared experience absolutely Uh, and a lot of people just think that high school marching band you go out there and walk around and play some cheesy music we both know that the difficulty level is tremendously high to do especially you know the program that you went through oh yeah Uh, those students were being pushed as hard as they could be to achieve things that the average student walking through the halls of that school were not going to be able to do or at least not interested in making the effort to be able to do it maybe is a better way to say it they were capable 
They just maybe weren't interested in what it took to be that good at something. I think that's a big reason why there is such a bond. I watched Drum and Bugle Corps one year Mm -hmm. and, you know, still occasionally talk to some of those people. It's less than it was because it's just the one year. But people I was in marching band with in college, I mean, some of them I still talk to daily. And I've been out of college since 1999. The dedication that you have to put in is what really brings everybody together. Because like you said, there are a lot of people out there that just may be capable of it, but aren't willing to dedicate that time to it because it pretty much consumes your life at one point or another. And I know like just from the high school program I was in, you were always out there helping us, but I mean, like, I know you would come straight from, you know, you're, uh, you're directing at the middle school, come over to help us set forms and drills out on the field. A lot of us would come straight from school or we would go home and then come back till nine or 10 at night. It's a long, long season, and it goes longer than baseball, football, where all these other guys and all these other athletes are dedicated to it, but we're still out there, even in the cold, even in the hot. There is no off-season until you get till the middle of November. Like It's just go, 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 nonstop for the students, nonstop for the family, nonstop for the staff. It's something that literally brings everybody together, and I know that My parents still talk to a lot of the band parents and keep up with some of the band directors. It literally ties all these people together and it sculpts your life and molds it for down the road to like you still have those relationships and those connections all these years later. And it's an amazing thing. It is. And, you know, you were talking a little bit ago about band kids and performing arts kids having success with careers and life and what that connection is. And I really think they learn first of all, how to do their small part of a larger, you know, activity. And what better job skill is there to learn than that? I'm sure where you work, it's just like where I work. I have my one little thing to do, but that's just a small part of Mm -hmm. the entire operation that makes everything happen. Absolutely. And band kids definitely learn that, but they also learn the value of really trying to hone your skills because you don't want to let everybody else down. You don't want to be the kid that's playing out of tune or your feet are out of time because those things are obvious to the adjudicators and it hurts everybody else in the group. So you really learn to hone your craft, but then also the drive to get as good at something as you possibly can be. I tell my students all the time, Perfection is not something we're ever going to attain. We're never going to play something perfectly. We're never going to have a perfect performance. Mm -hmm. But if you're striving for that, then somewhere along the path to perfection is greatness. And you're probably more likely to find that if you are working for perfection, even knowing that that's something that's not really attainable. That is probably the best way I have ever heard that described. And I mean... I know a lot of places still push for perfection, but I think if more people could hear it broken down the way you just did, there would be that happy meeting and that sweet spot where you still have something to attain and strive for, but you're not going to beat yourself into the ground because you didn't get it. And I know when I first started out, that was a big thing for me because I was one of those kids that had the problems keeping my feet in time and playing at the same time. So I had to go overboard on myself just to make sure I wasn't the weak link there. So I I get that 100%, but I wish there would have been somebody like you to explain it that way at that time because that perfectionist mentality can get you and it can literally break you as well. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's that's part of the stress of, of being a teacher in any subject. You're trying so hard to make sure that everybody gets it. And if everybody's not getting it, then, you know, you want to find a way to present something differently or target the kids that aren't getting it. And you just want that perfection all the time. And I think that's a big part of that stress and burden that teachers carry is we want it to be perfect all the time and Mm -hmm. it's it's never going to be that way not every kid is going to get everything that you're laying out there and with your time as a teacher now i know you said it's been 20 plus years at this point have you started to pick up on little keys with your students like even though it's different faces every year have you started to notice like little intricacies that may tell you that oh this student may learn it this way so you you already know the best way that it may be to approach if they're not picking it up the way you're you're teaching it to the class? Yeah, that's one of the great things about people is everyone's just a little different and everyone's going to learn things a little different and maybe I'm presenting something differently than they've heard it before or if it's new stuff, you know, just you do develop a feel for seeing kids' personalities and seeing how they're learning things as we're getting started with whatever it is we're doing and trying to find ways to supplement for individuals or smaller groups if there are kids not, you know, not latching on to something or not retaining it. So, yeah, you kind of get a feel for, all right, well, they're not getting it this way. There's another way that I can explain this. Maybe that will be helpful. So, and, and, you know, a lot of that is experience and you plan for it, but sometimes it's, you know, in the moment, like, hey, I don't get this. Like, I'm totally clueless. All right. Well, you know, you're right there in the moment, and it's almost like being an improv comedy actor. Like, you have to come up with a way to explain this off the cuff that is different but might clarify it. Absolutely. Now, you're you're speaking right up my alley there, so I, I get that 100%. Do you ever have to have a conversation with the parents at that point if you realize that the student is not getting it after a certain amount of time, or is that something that you just kind of challenge yourself or take upon yourself to try and find a way to connect there? You know, I communicate pretty regularly with parents. Mm-hmm. And if there is a really huge concern with a kid retaining something or struggling, we'll usually talk about it that way. We've gotten into a day and age where the fine arts, performing arts, exploratory type classes I don't want to say they're not, they don't count, because they do count. They're graded classes and, and everything, but it's kind of common knowledge that, you know, if you tank all of your exploratory classes through three years of middle school, you're still going to be a freshman the next year after right. you finish eighth grade. So, I mean, I think sometimes students and parents don't take them as seriously, but being a performing arts class where you have to be in it all year and most kids are in it all three years of middle school, mm-hmm. the kids take it a little more seriously. The parents understand that there's more to it. And I tell them right at the beginning of sixth grade, I said, you know, this is the hardest class we offer at this school. You know, the amount of things that you're going to be asked to learn and do all at the same time that are totally new. Plus, you know, you're expressing an emotion and communicating you know, you're taking this piece of metal or wood or plastic and you're literally making it sing a song and tell a story. So I don't hold back at all letting them know this is hard. It's going to take a lot of work. And so the kids usually are pretty much on board. I work in a school where I'm very fortunate that, you know, we don't have a lot of 
behavior shenanigans and stuff like that. I've taught in other places where that was such an obstacle. There were days it was almost impossible to feel like you were teaching anybody anything. Right. I was going to say, some of that might also have been that when I was in a school that was much more challenging, it was my first seven or eight years of teaching. Some of those difficulties were probably brought on from me just not knowing what I was doing yet. Right. Still trying to learn as you go. But circling back to something you said there, especially with the way the pandemic has been over the last year, and we've seen how the arts have been like one of the first areas that kind of suffered with shutdowns and you know, different concerts and venues and Broadway plays and even movies like getting postponed or getting, you know, theaters closing down. Do you have an idea or do you have any guesses as to why you think people don't take it as seriously, even though that's something that everybody is somehow impacted by if the world shuts down like it has? I've always kind of seen it as like, there's not that competitive gladiator kind of thing with the performing arts like there is with sports. Because, you know, I've been a sports fan since I was a little kid. Like, I thought I was going to be a professional baseball player throughout my whole childhood. And, really, you know, eventually realized that that, that was not going to be my thing. But still love sports, still follow sports. But it, it has been frustrating through the COVID era. The fine arts people seem like they were, okay... We're going to shut down Broadway. We're going to make sure that we're taking care of all of the people. We're not going to put the actors in jeopardy. We're not going to put the performers in jeopardy. We're not going to put audiences in jeopardy mm-hmm. and cram 2,000 people into a theater in downtown New York eight times a week. And all of the sports were like, let's do it. We don't want to miss any game. You know, it was yeah. such an, a polar opposite and I really think that we as people, the reason that sports are so popular is we kind of, we love that gladiator arena. Like they're out there doing superhuman things as athletes, no matter what professional sport it is, mm-hmm. they're all doing things that us average Joes can't do. I mean, you, you've been a semi-professional athlete in your career yep. and you know, you know exactly they're average Joes are not going to be able to step in that ring and do what you were doing night after night. And I think people just really are amazed by that. And I think because it's a physical thing, they see all of that. And that's what holds their attention and gets us so excited about sports. And I don't think that they view professional dancers, singers, actors the same way. I I just don't think they think about the same level of study and honing a craft and perfectionism that goes into doing that i think they kind of take that for granted and it just isn't as exciting to the general public as it is to us performing arts types right but it's it's so funny that i guess it's the primal instinct that kicks in with the sports where you just want to see man versus man or man versus himself depending on what the sport is that you're watching but at the same time you suffer when you don't get that entertainment because, oh, now I can't go to the movies or, oh, now I can't go do this. But, you know, it's like at the time, you don't think about how that actually impacts you when you can't have that other form of entertainment. And it's kind of like out of sight, out of mind until you can't have it anymore. It's a very frustrating part of society where it does where it doesn't get the value that it truly deserves. Oh, 100% agree. Uh, I was used to do a thing when I taught high school for a few years, I would always do a Uh, an assignment where we would watch scenes from the movie jaws Mm -hmm. but we would watch them without the music it was just the sound effects and the dialogue right and the emotional 
response from the audience is completely different. Like, you know, and people take that for granted. Like, and if we don't support the arts and we don't groom people to want to be performers, no matter what area of the performing arts it is, that's the stuff that's going to go away. I mean, you know, you're not going to have glorious soundtracks in your movies and that's part of what makes them so great. In my opinion, anyway, I could be in the minority there, but if we had to go watch all the Avengers movies over again and there was no score and it was just sound effects and dialogue, I think they'd be boring as hell. I I agree 100%. And I mean, just because you mentioned my, my wrestling history, I know for a fact that it's something that WWE shows back in 2002, there was that, epic supposed to be once in a lifetime at the time rock versus hulk hogan match you watch it without the sounds without the crowd noise and everything just like when the movie doesn't have a soundtrack it's it's boring there's no emotion there there's nothing to pull you in despite that dialogue or the physicality and it shows like how even sports are kind of intertwined in the storytelling just like with music and arts and entertainment if you don't have that soundtrack there it's hard to get into that emotion It's hard to have the investment. It all goes hand in hand, but it's just mind-blowing how one is valued over the other, but the one that's not valued plays such a big part in society that we don't even stop to think about half the time. Yeah, I really feel like people just kind of take for granted all of the arts and entertainment stuff. Absolutely. Um, In my mind, it seems backwards. Mm -hmm. You can always appreciate the skill level that athletes have because I still still play sports. I'm in an adult hockey league and and still try to be live out my sports dreams, even though I'm not very athletic. Uh, So I can appreciate all that, but I still feel like if we needed to pick 10 professions in our country where the people who do that work should be paid millions of dollars, I don't think professional athletes can make my top 10. I can agree on that because unfortunately There are a lot of athletes that are great down-to-earth people, but the majority of them, it seems like, are the ones that just go and blow the money, whereas there are people, especially in the teaching profession, that help teach and mold these people that are not getting anywhere near the amount they should be making, but you're the ones that are trusted to help set the groundwork and sculpt and mold these future doctors and lawyers and all these people that society is going to depend on down the road, but then teachers aren't looked at in the same, you know, in the same playing field as those people. It's absolutely frustrating and mind blowing. Like teachers should be top of the list in that regard. I don't know about top, but definitely feel like the the level of respect should be much higher than it is. Absolutely. And I know too, you said middle school, high school, and, I had a sprinkling of teaching experience with elementary and special needs kids, but, you know, I know, like, even then sometimes, like, the elementary kids could be so wild that it's hard to rein them in, and sometimes you you have to just keep your cool and keep your temper, but as they get older, I know, and I've heard horror stories from other people that went into the teaching field, that sometimes it's hard to bite your tongue if a middle school kid or a high school kid gets, you know, mouthy back with you, like, what do you do in a situation like that? How do you keep your cool and diffuse the situation if something like that happens? Well, I'm much better at it in the last 10 years than I was in the first 10 years that I did it. I used to have a tendency to be pretty hot-headed, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm glad that I'm not anymore because I don't know that it was ever in the best interest of the student. It definitely wasn't in the best interest of the student. It wasn't in my best interest either at that right. time. The biggest thing for me 
is trying to hold kids accountable, but also validate that their feelings are okay to have mm-hmm. instead of telling a kid, you don't have the right to be angry about this. They're going to get angry. Let them have their moment. Then after things have settled down, then you can do a lot of good follow up and have those teaching moments where you say, all right, this is the way it is. And this is where you screwed up. I understand you're mad about the consequences or you're mad because somebody did something to you and you got in trouble instead of them. Really, the the thing is trying to understand it from their point of view instead of ruling with an iron fist. Mm -hmm. For me, anyway, it has made all the difference in, in how my classroom runs and how I feel about managing students. And and again, I'm fortunate in my classes, I rarely have true behavior problems beyond kids being, you know, silly or talkative. Right, right. Um, where Where I run into the most of that is like cafeteria duty every day where oh. I've got the entire sixth grade, you know, all 350 of them in there eating lunch at the same time. That's where I run into more of that. But really, even then, most kids, when you get them calmed down and you talk to them and you explain what's going on, at their core, I think almost all of them do want to do the right thing and mm-hmm. they do want to learn. There's just so many things that get in the way of that. You know, the biggest one being social interaction. Like they crave, crave validation from their peers. Oh, yeah. And they'll get it any way they can so if they're if that's cut up in class and bring a lesson to a screeching halt trying to make people laugh then that's what they're going to do yep it's a challenge to hold my tongue and you know not try to zing them and come back with something that's going to shut them down in front of everybody right right. i really can't even remember the last time i did that like seriously now with my band kids that i see throughout the year and have for multiple years We'll, we'll banter a little more. And I oh, yeah. say something funny off the cuff to get a kid to understand, you know, you got to cut it out. And they get it and they laugh and they have a good time with it. And then you get the point across without being mean. Uh, and I think kids appreciate that. Absolutely. And I mean, I think it kind of, I don't necessarily want to say like the teacher is a a dictator or something like that, or like a boss even, but I think in a way to them, it kind of humanizes the teacher if it shows that they can kind of cut up with the students and I guess make them feel included or you're kind of letting them in, so to speak. Oh, a hundred percent. Like I, I have had teachers and I've watched teachers and you've probably had them too, that, mm-hmm. that you know, they do that rule with the iron fist and it's their way or the highway. And, Sometimes that's good to see a vision through when there's lots and lots of moving parts. Right. But I feel like in my classroom, that's just not my personality. Uh, I keep I keep things fairly light. Like, my classroom is not a model of silence. The kids don't come in and fold their hands and say, oh, teacher, please teach me, please. We joke, we talk, we laugh, we relate to each other. I think that's really the most important thing about it all is, you know, building relationships with even sixth seventh and eighth graders if you can build a relationship with them they're more likely to let that guard down and take a risk to try something or make the effort to learn something because if you have that relationship part of it is they just don't want to let you down you know hopefully i feel like what we're doing in my classroom is 
enjoyable enough and inspiring enough that then they just get hooked on it and they want to be good at it because they want to be good at it and they love it. Now, in a situation like that, too, especially with the middle school kids where they may be just starting out, do you feel like there's a lot of pushback from the parents or there's extra pressure from the parents to succeed? How is that dynamic? You know, I really don't feel a lot of pressure from the parents. I make a big deal out of letting the parents know that, like, these are baby steps. You know, I talk a lot about the 10,000-hour rule uh, where if you are an athlete or you code or you are a professional musician or a dancer that essentially to hone that craft to a level that is above and beyond the layperson requires about 10,000 hours of repetitive practice and Mm -hmm. really dedicating yourself to it. Do the math for them. I don't remember those numbers because I have the short-term memory of a flea, but (laughs) the numbers basically are, you know, it's about a year and a third, if I remember correctly. Somebody can do the math and double-check me on that. But I think if you do it 24-7, nonstop, don't eat, don't sleep, don't go to the bathroom, all you do is practice your instrument, you will get to 10,000 hours in about a year and a third. And so then you start doing the math. Okay, well, instead of 24 hours a day, we practice maybe on a heavy day for a middle school kid. Outside of class, they probably practice 30 or 40 minutes. Then you start doing that math and realizing that's a lot of years to get to 10,000 hours. And so I make sure the parents know this is a long process. We're not going to sound like the Nashville Symphony you mm-hmm. know, on the third week that we have those instruments. Maybe not even the third year we have those instruments but it's always a work in progress. We're always trying to get better. And really what I tell the parents is our goal is to be ready to go to the high school and step into that high school band and contribute to what's going on there without being completely overwhelmed. And I think once I get the parents on board with that attitude, I don't get a lot of pressure. When I do feel pressure is when kids move in from other places. Mm-hmm where the fine arts is supported a little differently than it is in my district. And they want it to be what they were coming from. You know, I had a girl move in from Texas probably four or five years ago. And, you know, they had three band directors at the middle school, wow, uh, which was about the same size as the school where I worked at that time. Mm -hmm. Uh, They had about 400 kids in band out of the 1,500 or so at that middle school. They saw the band kids every single day, which I don't. I have an every other day schedule for my band classes. We alternate back and forth between two different groups. And it was like stepping backward into beginning band for this student who was a seventh grader and probably played better than most of my eighth grade students. The kids all got private lessons at the school during the day if they wanted them. Wow. All of their sixth grade band Uh, Their band classes were in only like instrument groups. So there was a flute class and a clarinet class and a saxophone class. Like they didn't have to be in the room waiting on trombones to find sixth position. Mm -hmm. If they were a flute player, they could just focus on flute technique every day the whole school year. You know, it's like they got off to a huge head start and had such an advantage. Absolutely. And I felt so bad when that student moved to my school and mom was like, is there any way we can make this more interesting? She did this stuff in the first semester last year. Like, she's bored. And so that's, you know, that's the other end of the spectrum from what we were talking about earlier, trying to find ways to present information for kids that aren't getting it trying to find ways to push kids who are getting it. So, you know, tried to find her someone to take lessons with, let her know about honor band opportunities and extra stuff like that. Gave her some some more advanced method books and said, hey, work on this. 
let me hear you play, trying to get the upper end of the echelon to still stay engaged even when what we're doing every day in class is far beneath their knowledge and skill level. That's the only time I feel pressure from parents, and none of them have been really nasty about it. They're just very persistent about advocating for what their kid needs, and that's exactly what they should be doing. Absolutely. So, you know, to me, that's good pressure. And, you know, I don't ever want a parent to feel like they, sh- they need to advocate for their kid to me because I want to be their kid's biggest advocate. But in situations like that, sometimes uh, it, it's, it presents challenges from an instructional standpoint. And, you know, we always seem to find ways to make it work, but those are just as tough a situation as, you know, you have kids that, you know, they're in their third year of band and they still can't name the notes on the staff. Like it's the same frustration for me that, you know, I have to find a way to either get this kid to understand it or to keep this kid engaged when they're bored. It's, It's on me to make those things happen. When the pandemic started, did you start to notice any pushback or hesitation from the parents or was there any concern or anything that might have thrown up a red flag for you as far as how band and the arts were being handled at that time well when it started back in the spring of i guess it would have been spring of 2000 was that yeah because it's spring of 2000 was when it really kind of started exploding yeah last year yep our school system we had the tornado come through yep i remember that too directly hit a couple of schools so we were out of school for a week i think it was a week before our spring break and we got to that spring break and in the middle of spring break they announced we were going to stay closed a little extra time to see if this pandemic would slow down and we could come back to school safely and before that extended time period was up they said we're shutting it down find ways to teach your class remote, do the best you can, may the odds be ever in your favor, go. And so it was like literally overnight trying to figure out ways to do this. We didn't really have a whole lot of technology yet. You know, we're Zoom was just something that they kind of said, here's a way to do this. Mm-hmm. Play around with it and see if you can do some engaging lessons. They said, you know, don't have assignments that need to be turned in. Don't take attendance. Like, you know, this is all unprecedented. Do the best you can. So, you know, we, we got through that spring that way. And then we didn't know really what the fall was going to look like until probably mid-July. They started saying, all right, our plan is we're going to come back doing the hybrid model where each half the building comes on Monday, on Tuesday and Thursday The other half of the building comes on Wednesday, Friday. Monday is like teacher planning day and office hours. And they had a really good plan. And I felt like even though that was a terrible thing for like the fine arts, performing arts classes, because I saw every kid once a week. So like it was impossible to make much headway. Absolutely. So that was frustrating, but I think that was the best balance between shut everything down, send everybody home. Like this week, we're out of school in my system because the COVID numbers have spiked up so high. Mm -hmm. It was a good balance between that and let's just pretend nothing's wrong and cram 35 kids in this classroom for an hour every day. So that worked for me. We made it work, you know, on the weeks where we did have to go fully virtual and not in the building, even found ways for the kids to play instruments. It was, you know, totally different than normal and it was really about survival i didn't feel like the parents 
were freaking out too much. And our fine arts faculty took some steps to kind of reassure them. So we got together a couple of weeks before school started and we drafted a document that basically said, we're not going to do any in-person concerts until at least the spring of 21. We're going to socially distance in our classrooms. We're going to limit actual playing time or singing time to 30 minutes or less based on the Colorado wind study and performing arts stuff. We, you know, had science behind us Mm -hmm. and the study that we could quote if we needed to put bell covers on the instruments. And I moved my classroom from the band room to the auditorium so we could really spread out. The kids were in the audience area and I was just up front on the stage or floating around to check on them individually And so we did a lot of things that I think helped put parents at ease. And so I don't feel like we really got any pushback at all on that from a fine arts standpoint. I know there were a lot of parents that were concerned that sports were still going on. I was always confused as to why it was bad for kids to be singing or playing with masks on or with bell covers on and taking all these precautions. But then the football teams out there piling on top of each other, no mass, no nothing. Plus they're doing cardiovascular activity and their respiration rate is elevated. So they're moving a lot more air in and out, expelling that farther distances and higher volumes. And it just never made sense to me. But again, it's kind of that discussion earlier. People get off on sports so much that like mm-hmm. that has to still be a thing. That's where people get their glory. And we got to make sure the kids have that, opportunity absolutely so so it was weird seeing the the fine arts be told in some school systems that they couldn't do anything and then sports were still able to go it's uh that's a head scratcher for sure and with that too i know that i live in a different county from you but we're pretty much right next to each other it seems like what one county does another county may do the same sometimes it may have a different tweak to it with the document that you guys drafted for y'all's plan, having the science behind you and everything, was there any pushback from the county or anything that said you guys should just go about your business as usual or just, we don't like that, but go ahead and do it for the best interest of the kids and yourself? Was there any kind of pushback, any frustration from the higher-ups as far as that went? Then our county, we didn't hear any feedback on our plan beyond our building level principal and our administration in my school are incredibly supportive of the performing arts uh you know our principal was a choir person all through high school and college and still sings in church choir one of our assistant principals was a band and choir person through high school and college and he'll even grab a trumpet and come sit in with my band classes sometimes just for fun. The kids love it that the principal sits in and plays trumpet in the band sometimes. So they are very much on board with helping us get what we need, you know, within the district structure. So I, I felt like in our school system, we were trusted to come up with our plan. And that is always something that a lot of teachers don't get is that trust to make those decisions. You know, I know in the really large metropolitan school system next door to my county that they just shut down sports and performing arts programs. Like they just said, you can't do it. Don't even ask. You know, they all had to scramble to find other things to do. Yep. In the county I'm in, there's a county school system and then a city special school system in 
the largest city in the county. And this special school system in our county, they also told the performing arts people, you cannot, there's no singing, there's no playing wind instruments. You're going to have to do non-dangerous activities for class. So I felt like we were pretty fortunate. We didn't get a, a decree like that. And I feel like we were able to continue doing what the kids love without doing it in a way that was really endangering them. You know, we took every precaution we could with ventilation, masks, bell covers, distance, time spent playing, you know, and all of those decisions we based on that University of Colorado wind study and Mm -hmm. vocal production study. So I feel like we did it the right way. And even if the district had asked for us to present that plan, I feel like they would have understood where we were coming from and went along with it. Absolutely. And then did you notice any impact on the kids? I know obviously it was a big game changer and a big situational change for everybody, but did you notice that the kids were still receptive to everything? Were they just glad to be there or was it still an awkward adjustment phase for them to get back into the swing of things this way as well? I believe it was infinitely harder on the students than it was on the teachers because they were all only there for two days a week. Mm -hmm. And then they were expected to do their work on their own at home on those other two days. And that was a huge obstacle for so many kids. Like they self-motivating at home. A lot of them maybe didn't have a parent at home. Right. You know, with them, nobody to kind of, you know, hold their feet to the fire And it was very challenging. Kids' grades were not very good. They weren't turning work in. It is interesting, though, in our school, and I don't know the exact numbers, but we've seen kind of preliminary numbers on standardized test scores and whatnot from last year. And it looks like our school is not nearly as far behind as we would have guessed and even made some gains in a few areas. Uh, I think we get the official numbers later on this week if – I remember what our administrator sent out this morning. So that's encouraging to know that we were able to still push those kids forward in all of the subject areas and make headway and keep them from getting behind. I hate using that term getting behind because the whole world is going through this. Yep. I always wonder when the parents were talking about our kids are going to be two years behind Behind what? Like, it's a global pandemic. We're all trying to survive, and we're going to do the best we can, and we will keep them learning and doing, and we will recover from it once it's done, and everybody's going to be fine. But I'm still proud of the way that we fought through all those obstacles last year, and we're able to, like I said, in some areas, even show some growth with the kids. Absolutely. And I mean, I think the biggest thing, too, especially in that age range, getting them back in and getting them some social interaction when it's probably the most needed on top of helping them develop and hone that skill. I think that just speaks levels to how important what you do actually is. And do you think that coming out of the pandemic, whenever that may be, fingers crossed, that's sometime in the near future, but do you think how you guys have performed and helped the students at this point will help kind of change the perspective on the fine arts as far as it's looked at in the school system and its importance? Or do you think it, unfortunately, will go back to kind of where it was before everything happened? 
the eternal optimist in me wants to say absolutely people are going to take notice but the realist in me says no it's going to it'll just continue being what it was right this the never ending cycle and history will repeat itself and yeah i can relate to that 100% but is there anything that was um I don't necessarily want to say like a freak out moment for you or anybody else in the county where like, was there ever a point where you guys were scared that like, man, we may not have something to come back to? Or was there any like job security like that had you on edge? Was there any kind of fear like that that was crossing your mind throughout all this? You know, I, in my district, I really didn't have any of those moments, but I know through being in the, there's a national band director's facebook group which has you know basically thousands of band directors from oh, around yeah. the country in it and there were people on there saying you know my district is eliminating these fine arts positions for this year because if we can't play or sing in class safely then they don't want to pay the salary that was something that was happening other places i think in the county where i am enough people would lose their marbles over that, that they would never consider making that happen and do you think part of that stems from the students themselves and even some of the administration having parents or even the administrators themselves having backgrounds in music and performing arts? Or is that just something that they see these kids gravitating towards so they automatically want to go to bat and try to save that for them so that they have something to latch on to? I think it really stems more from parent perspective. We're in the second wealthiest county in the state, I believe. And the more higher education and more wealth there is in a school system, the more the parents seem to support the arts. I've seen some some numbers in a few places where they can kind of show that, that if the parents are college graduates or hold advanced degrees, that there's a good chance that they were performing arts people in some capacity when they were young and then that's still going to be important to them as they're older and that's getting passed on to their kid. I think that really more comes from the parents than the kids. Obviously, we both as kids were into it and loved it and oh, yeah. wanted to do it. So the kids get hooked on it and they find out how amazing it is to be a part of that. But I really think a lot of the initial support comes from the parents. I could agree with that 100%. And I know... Both of my parents were in band at one point or another, but they weren't in it as long as I was. But, you know, it's something that they pushed me towards uh, going into middle school. And from that point on, man, I was just hooked on performing from 10 going on 32 now. So that's 22 years worth of some kind of performance, whether it's music, wrestling, improv, or voiceover and acting now, or even podcasting. Like, there's something there that just gives you a sense of fulfillment. And I think if the parents can see that and kids keep, you know, if they're lucky enough to get a glimpse of their parents in a situation like that, that makes all the difference in the world as far as setting that example of, man, this may be something I really want to look into or I want to do good at so I can have those same experiences. Yeah, uh, 100%. You kind of hit the nail on the head there. I think that's something that unfortunately the world is missing a lot of right now is that sense of fulfillment. And I know that, especially in the time of the pandemic, which is... Unfortunately, where we're at, there's more of just like check the box, go to work, just make my money, keep the bills paid, 
and just check the boxes as you go and you don't feel fulfilled doing that and you lead yourself to a sense of burnout and feeling like waste like feeling like you've got wasted potential or you missed your opportunity but if you have that chance in the fine arts or something that just makes you feel fulfilled that you can latch on to it makes it easier to avoid that so you look forward to doing those things so it gives you that thing to look forward to at the end of the day and it gives you that sense of hope and engagement like you said you've got the eternal optimist side which is something that I think more people need to have, and I know that's not the easiest thing for a lot of people, but I think if you just have that outlet and that creative outlet to express yourself, it makes it easier to latch onto that optimistic outlook. Right, and, and you know, self-expression, shoot. You don't have to be good at an instrument or a good mm-hmm. singer to do those things and enjoy them. Just get out there and try it. It's like, you know, with me starting to play hockey, the first time that I ever ice skated in my life was about five years ago. And my first organized hockey game ever was in February of this year. I had literally only ice skated maybe seven or eight times. I'd never had any Ooh. lessons or instruction. Like, I just got out there green. And I'm, you know, I'll freely admit I'm terrible at it. I'm slow. I'm getting these old man injuries just from things <laughs> like shooting the puck. I'm not getting hurt in cool hockey ways. It's just I'm an old guy. And my body doesn't want to do this stuff anymore. But you know what? It is the most fun I've ever had playing a sport. I've met some people that I didn't know that are great human beings and have diverse backgrounds and interesting stories. And we're bonding over this shared experience and we're a team and we're kind of a brotherhood now, you know, in a small sense of the word. But it's it's been very fulfilling to do, even though I'm terrible at it. Uh, it's definitely something I'm going to continue doing for the foreseeable future. And it's the same with the performing arts. I mean, there are community theater programs. There are community bands and orchestras. People can play at church. Mm-hmm. They can sing in a church choir. There are so many ways to keep doing that, uh, whether you are professional caliber or if you're barely above beginner level, and still get that experience. And still, you know, it's human expression. It's human connection. You know, when you're performing there's a connection between you and that audience. Absolutely. Professional, amateur, rock and roll, church choir, you know, even singing in a church choir. I mean, you're communicating something, you're expressing something, and you're connecting with audience is probably not the right term, but really it's an audience. It is. And that's all part of what makes being a performer so great is that, you know, you and that audience, and you are trying to communicate something to them with an instrument or with your voice, or by representing a character, you know, for me, that's what I get off on. I love that stuff. I still do community theater. I still mm-hmm. do singing stuff. I play, like, you know, any chance I can get to do that, it's what motivates me and, and really feeds my soul. Absolutely. And the thing is, biggest thing that you keep bringing up is that connection with the audience. And circling back to something you said just a minute ago, it doesn't matter if you're good at it or if you're bad at it, the crowd is going to pick up on whether or not you're having fun, and that's what makes that connection. Because if you're having fun, they're going to have fun. Nobody wants to be that one odd man out that is the only person in the room not having fun because then all it's like all negative attention is on them. If you put out that energy and you can convey that you're having fun doing what you're doing, it's contagious. Everybody's going to pick up on that, and everybody wants to be involved. And... Again, that may be a spark that sets somebody off down their road to finding that fulfillment. So 
it all comes down to just what you put out of it that makes you feel fulfilled. And like you said, doing hockey now, mad respect to you because I don't even want to think about trying to put on a pair of skates, but (laughs) that's not going to be a pretty sight. But, I mean, it's like you're having fun and you're connecting with those other guys that are doing the same thing, and they may not be the best at it, but the common factor there is you're all out there having fun and bonding over it that way, which is awesome. Yeah. There's a lot of parallels, and the – you know, the, the joy that I get from doing it is very similar to when I'm playing an instrument or singing or on stage acting. Absolutely. Which, man, now i got to see if we can get booked on a show together at some point. Right. Like, I, you know, I'm, I've wanted to get into voiceover and voice acting for so long, uh, but I just haven't really known where to start and really haven't had time, you know, being a music teacher, the, the Absolutely. spare hours to pick up other commitments are few and far between so that may be something i look look at in seven or eight years when i start thinking about what my retirement career is i have a little time to figure out what i want to be right right well when that time comes let me know and i'll uh i'll get you connected with the right people there (laughs) but um see that's the thing too is i love how you're looking down the road at retirement but then you're still wanting to stay active and pursue that passion elsewhere too that's amazing And I think, again, that's something that the world is missing right there. So is there any secret you can share with our listeners that keeps you going and helps you avoid the burnout from day to day when things get stressful? I don't feel like the last two or three years I'm avoiding the burnout. (laughs) But (laughs) the things I do is I try to be around my family as much as possible. Absolutely. Uh, my wife doesn't do a lot of outside things outside the home as far as like, you know, she doesn't play sports. She's a musician. She used to play in a community concert band, but hasn't done that since our daughter was born. Our daughter's 15. So, you know, spending quality time with them. My daughter is a musical theater junkie. She's a performing arts kid. Pass it down. We have done some community theater shows together, which is really a great experience to, to do something like that with your own kid. She's probably a lot better at it than I am. She has a lot of opportunities that I didn't. I grew up in Podunk, small town. My graduating class was 29 people. My my entire high school was 100 kids. So wow. you know, she goes she goes to a high school that has been open. This is the second year the school's been open. They already have around 1,500 kids in the school, which is yeah. you know double the size of my hometown. Oh, so yeah. she's got opportunities that I didn't have. And so she's, she's going to be good at it. She's considering moving to New York and going to school and doing it for a career that could change in the next three years. But yeah, like it's great to be able to do things with her and have that connection. Cause I know so many kids and their parents don't see eye to eye on things that mm-hmm. have similar thoughts about how the world works. So I'm pretty fortunate that, that I, that my kid has similar interests and she has great taste in music, so we, you know, we talk about music. We're in shows together. Uh, our family bonding time this week has been. She's into RuPaul's Drag Race, and so nice. I've actually wa- watched a couple seasons of Drag Race with her and gotten into that. And it's amazing how connected you get to those characters, or they're not characters, they're people. But you know how connected you you get to those people and watch them struggle with being who they are. Like I know a lot of people would never watch that show for one reason or another. It's been, it's been interesting to watch her and learn a little bit about where she's coming from. And then as a family, we're all sitting down watching this and laughing and 
make our picks about who's going home. Absolutely. And it's been great. And then, of course, you know, find things that you are interested in doing that have nothing to do with your career is another way to fight burnout. So, you 100%. know, family's great. Playing hockey, you know, I still try to perform musically as often as possible. It's hard being in the Nashville area because I grew up as a rocker. Like I was not classical music and being a serious musician was not really on my radar until I was about a junior in high school. I thought I was going to be the next heavy metal superstar. So I just locked my room with my guitar, you know, as a high school kid Mm -hmm. and I still play, but like, you know, everybody in this town's a guitar player and then I'll play circles around me. You know, I got a master's degree in music, but my guitar chops don't match that level of education so i do a lot of like doing covers on my own i'll use you know home recording studio and yeah play all the guitar parts and play the bass and just got an electronic drum kit so i can start like doing full covers of songs those are things that take my mind off of work and the stress of being a teacher when i can just say all right i'm gonna learn all of the guitar parts and the bass part and i'm gonna record them and going through that process and just that's all i focus on you kind of get tunnel vision And if you can tune all of that stressful stuff out, even if it's for an hour at a time, that is a super therapeutic thing. 100%. Man, I, that just every single bit of that was inspiring right there, especially the fact that your daughter's goals are nurtured and you know, like you can relate to so much of that and you guys come together and you're supportive of her dream because like you said, there's so many parents out there that don't see eye to eye with their kids or they don't think that dream is attainable because it's not the normal stereotypical nine to five job that pays the bills. But you know that and yet you still support her dreams because you've been there and you've been on that path. It was amazing to hear every single bit of that. I, I know you can't see me through the uh, through the computer screen here, but I was smiling and nodding my head through all of that. And I think a positive note like that is like the best way to to end this interview because it really shows not only how passionate you are about teaching these kids and helping them find their passion, but you're still finding your passions. You're still engaged in what you're doing. And then most importantly, you're helping your daughter and you're encouraging her with her passions. And every single bit of that is what the world needs, especially when it seems like so much negativity is all around us. So... I just want to thank you for opening up and sharing all of that with us here tonight. Well, it's been a pleasure to come on and talk to you and maybe we'll uh, find some topics where I can come on and talk your ears off again sometime. I would love to do that. And then of course, like I said, we got to find a local theater and uh, get on stage together at this point and then see where that gets us. Uh, I would love that. Absolutely. Well, Keith, man, I appreciate you giving us your time tonight. And like I said, just being so open and then being such a positive impact on the younger generation as well. So, man, anytime you want to come back on, I'm going to be more than happy to have you as a guest again. Sounds like a plan to me. All right, man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. And there you have it. Keith, I just want to thank you once again for being so generous with your time and given me a chance to catch up with you as well and learn a little bit more about what the last year has been like for you and also learn more about your journey. So guys, I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I hope you'll take a moment to go into the show notes and sign the petition for hashtag justice for Nala and get ready for another awesome episode next week. And once again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for sending me the texts, the tweets, the emails. 
Thank you for taking the time to actually listen and support this podcast. It means the world to me. So we'll see you again next week. And I know you hear me.